Hi and welcome to Prayer House Online. We are so glad that you are able to join us today. If you are here for the first time, a special, special welcome to you. If you've been listening to our podcasts and our episodes here, welcome to you as well. I hope all is well with you. My name is Forchi. For those of you who don't know me, I'm part of the team here at Prayer House in Weymouth. And before we dive into today's sermon, um, Paul will be speaking to us in just a moment. I just want to highlight something that's really exciting and coming up in the month of November. The 25th of November, we have our impartation evening. This is a very special day for us and we are excited about it because we believe that God is going to move mightily on that evening and we are in the process of getting ready and getting our hearts ready for that time together. So we'll be meeting at Holy Trinity School in Weymouth at 7pm. That's Holy Trinity School in Weymouth at 7pm. So if you are able to join us on that day, we would love to welcome you. You can bring a friend along and here's a special thing. Usually when churches do something on a Saturday night or so on, um, it, there's usually not a children's provision, but we believe that what we're about to receive and what we're about to do on the 25th is equally important for our young people as well, for our children as well. And so we would love to welcome your children and they are going to be part of the main meeting and they will be included in what's going on. And so this is for the whole family because we believe that God is using all ages and we want to bless everyone who is able to come on that day. And we believe that God's going to move in power. So for the next few weeks, we are going to be doing a new series of teachings um, that will help us prepare and receive well when we come together. Um, are we saying that God's not going to bless us on the in the next few Sundays and he won't be moving in power? No, that's not what we're saying. But we do believe that there is a special blessing for when we prepare our hearts we come to him in one accord and we are all on the same page and we have learned the importance of what's going on and the importance of impartation and receiving and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so to do that well and to help us do that well, for this week we have Paul speaking to us. He's spoken to us on a topic that is just so exciting and we've called it God's plan all along. God's plan all along. So without further ado, I'm going to allow him to speak to us. So why don't we pray where we are? Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity. We ask, Lord, that you would bless us and you bless this time together. Father, I pray for everyone who's listening to this, wherever they are, in their living room, doing their quiet time, driving their car, doing the dishes. We don't know, Lord, but I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just come and minister to us even as we hear Paul speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Could you grab your Bible and go to Numbers chapter 11? Yeah, so um, Numbers chapter 11. So the people of Israel have come out of slavery, and Moses is the guy, without any shadow of doubt. He went to Pharaoh as just a humble Hebrew shepherd with a very interesting past and confronts Pharaoh and says, right, this nation that you have enslaved, 
God says they're his people. And basically, my message to you is very simple. Let my people go. And then a huge chain of events start to happen where God displays his incredible power. And even Pharaoh is literally floored by what God does to the point where he has to reluctantly let go of his slave um, nation that he'd basically been using to build all these cities by enforced labor. And so then they're in the wilderness, which is en route to where they've got to get to, which is the promised land, which is where the fighting is today. And so history is all like, there's a huge amount of history going on. And Moses has been leading these people. They've, they've seen the most extraordinary things. And every single day they see a miracle because there's manna, which is like this lovely, wafery, honey-flavored bread stuff that lands on the ground. And it's there in the morning when they get up and they go out and collect it. It's a free meal. And it tastes great. And they can cook it in various ways. But they're bored of it. <laughs> so now they, so they see this big pillar of cloud over the camp by the daytime, and everyone knows that that's the presence of God. And then at nighttime, the pillar of cloud is fire, and they see that, and they just know that's God, and nobody's getting sick because that's God. And so every single day, God is in evidence in the camp, but they're bored of manna, and that is the thing that starts to win in their kind of communal <laughs> behavior. And so suddenly there's this massive big outcry against Moses because of the food, the limitations on the menu. And they, they're really grumbling at it. And like everybody is grumbling. And this is the kind of stuff they say. They say, oh, that we had meat to eat in verse um, four. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. Big lie. Cost them everything. They were slaves. They were paying dearly with just to stay alive and having to work and build these cities. And so, but they're remembering the variety of diet. So they remember the fish that we ate in Egypt. Of course, the River Nile runs through Egypt, doesn't it? It's loads of fish. Costs nothing. The cucumbers, what a thing to remember. Cucumbers, oh boy. Melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. So all the nice flavors and smells. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. And then it goes on to describe what the manna was like. And anyway, everyone's complaining and God's upset. And Moses is displeased. And Moses says to the Lord, verse 11, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found, found favor in your sight? So Moses is like, can I quit my job, basically? Because I'm not liking it anymore. It's no longer any fun. And he says, did I conceive all these people? Like, are they my kids? No, they're not, actually. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child? So he's saying, I'm like their mother, and none of them are mine. And I'm resenting it, to be honest. So carry them in your bosom. Did, you, did I give birth to them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child? to the land that you swore to their fathers. Where am I to get meat to feed all of these people? Who who said the same thing to Jesus? Where are we going to get food to feed all these people? 
The disciples, yeah, so it's the exact same thing. Moses is feeling the pressure of leadership. He's thinking, I just can't do this, God. He says, I'm not able to carry the burden of these people alone. This is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I might not see my wretchedness. So Moses literally hates the person he's turning into. And he's saying, God, kill me. This is unbearable. Just annihilate me so that I don't have to see myself reduced to this horrible shadow of who I really am. And then verse 16, and the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, that they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bear it yourself alone. Right, I'm going to just jump from there into chapter 12 and just get to the bit where in verse 6. And this is God speaking about Moses to Moses' brother and sister who are now also grumbling about Moses. Aaron and Miriam, verse 6, chapter 12, verse 6. And he said, hear my words. This is God. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. So he's saying Moses is different. This is how I speak with prophets. I make myself known to them in a vision or speak with them in a dream. This is normal. But with Moses, it's different. So not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, listen to this. Verse 8, with him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. And I'm like reading this this morning, he beholds the form of the Lord. Back in Moses' day, the, the scripture says no one can see God and live. God lived in this unapproachable glory and light, with the sound of trumpets and flashing lightnings and all the rest of it. And yet somehow Moses sees the form of God. Somehow this guy, Moses, has got this privileged relationship with God that God doesn't speak to him in riddles. He doesn't even do dreams or visions. He actually speaks to him mouth to mouth. Can you imagine what that is like? That is my prayer for my life. I don't care about many, many things, but I do care. I do care about being a friend of God with him speaking to me clearly, not in riddles, and to actually behold the form of the Lord. I, I don't think that's complicated for me. I think Moses just knew Jesus. I think he was up on that mountain. He saw Jesus and he saw the form of the Lord because that is the form he takes when he engages with humankind, isn't it? So Jesus comes, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. I'm sure that's who Moses saw. So when these people are grumbling about Moses, they don't understand the treasure 
that lives among them. They just have no concept. All they can think about is their miserable bellies because they got too much time on their hands and they haven't connected with God in the way that Moses has. In fact, they prefer that Moses does that for them and that they get it secondhand. But actually, listen to this. This is this. Listen to the story. So I jumped to do a little kind of cut away to Moses for a second. Let's come back to the story. So God has said, I will take some of the spirit that is on you. Well, we've just heard what that spirit is. That's that spirit of intimacy, that spirit of connection with God. I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat and you for you have wept in the hearing of God, saying, who will give us meat to eat? And blah, blah, blah. And then it goes on, sorry. And it says, you're going to end up having so much meat that it's going to come out your nostrils. Lovely. It's like you're going to sneeze meat. And it's going to be like, oh, steak. No, chicken. Quail. Um, and because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him, said, why did we come out of Egypt? Verse 20, that is. Verse 21. But Moses said, the people among whom I am number 600,000 on foot. And you have said, I will give them meat, that they meet a whole month, and so on. So Moses is now doing the disciple thing where they're saying, how is this going to work? God, I'm not sure I understand. But anyway, Verse 24, so Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. And then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him. And some of the spirit that was on him, so he took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. They did not continue doing it. That's interesting, isn't it? That they stopped. I wonder why they stopped. I always wonder the bits they don't tell me. I want to know why they stopped. Did they just think, oh, we're riding a bicycle without stabilizers and we're going to fall off if we keep going, so let's just stop now before we fall off? I don't know. Um, but anyway, so then this, this, they, this happens. This is a phenomenon. 70 elders getting filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesying. So there's an external sign that God's doing something. And then verse 26, it says, Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. And they were, uh, they were among those registered, but they'd not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, we know about Joshua, don't we? And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to them, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all God's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them? Let's just read that verse together. Would that all God's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Should we do it again? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. You see, it has never been God's desire to just have a few superstars who do the stuff. 
and everybody shows up when the superstars are in town and all the stuff happens. God's intention has always been that it would be his spirit poured out on his people. And Moses knows this. Moses has that burning in his heart and almost with a frustration that comes sometimes from leadership where he's like, God, if only it was more than just me carrying these people. But then he says, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And what had happened was when Moses was um, going to hear from God, the people said, Moses, we're intimidated by God. We don't want to go to that mountain. You go on our behalf and let God speak to you. And so they kind of delegated that relationship with God to Moses. And Moses went up there on his own. We know the story. But so here's the thing. So back now we're going to jump forwards. And we're going to jump forwards to the book of uh, Joel, chapter 2. I know many of you will know this stuff, but I just want to kind of make a point. So Joel, chapter 2, he's uh, writing and he says, the, the prophet is writing there and he's talking about these kind of difficult times. And God is talking about, this is quite a difficult book to read. It's got like judgment and pain and gloom and darkness and fire and smoke and all these things going on. But then it talks in verse 28, which we're going to, we, we've got a reason for this one. So he says, verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is incredible because this sounds to me like indiscriminate all flesh. Um, it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit. This is God saying, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So then we're going to jump all the way to the New Testament into Acts chapter 2 to the day of Pentecost. What happened on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came and how many people were filled in one go? 120, was it? 120? Well, you get to 3,000 in the end, but it's 120 followers of Jesus in a room together, big room, and they're praying and waiting on God, and they're saying, God, come on, you've promised some stuff, we haven't seen it, we're waiting, what's supposed to happen now? And it's not long since Jesus was on the cross, and then he was alive again, and they were having this incredible celebration, and then he's gone again, and they're thinking, wow, you said wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And then the Holy Spirit really comes, the whole place is shaken, they can see like flames of fire on each other, and they're, wow, man, your hair's on fire, and he's going, look at yours, and they're all speaking in tongues, and they're like, what language is that? And they're so excited because they are overwhelmed by this experience. They spill out into the streets and discover that the languages they're speaking are, are understood by the people around them who are from all different parts of the kind of neighboring world as people come for the festival of Pentecost, which is like a harvest festival time. 
And there's suddenly these people who've come from all these different nations can understand what's being said by these disciples who've never learned their languages. And then Peter stands up in verse 14 of chapter 2. And he says, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, because the people thought they were drunk and being just a bit hyper. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So Peter is taking that scripture we have just read from Joel, which is hard to kind of make sense of in its context there. But then Peter seems to be able to pull it out of that kind of confusing piece of the Old Testament and slap it in there in right up to date in this moment. He said, this is that. This is precisely what Joel was talking about. And now we can see it happening. And so he quotes it to them and he says, in the last days, it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So he's saying what you can see now is precisely what the prophet prophesied. But it's also precisely what Moses was wishing for, isn't it? Because Moses was wishing that all God's people would be prophets and that God would put his spirit on them. So I think we can even imply from what Moses says that he would love it if they had the same relationship, if those people had the same relationship with God that he had. Do you think it's fair to assume? Because his understanding of the Spirit was how the Spirit worked in his life. So he was saying, oh, God, if only people could know you as I know you. as If only all God's people had access to you in this way, wouldn't it be wonderful? And now Peter is saying, this is it. This is actually happening in front of you. In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, which is amazing. So what's he saying? He's saying, actually, there's going to be this time that the prophet foresaw when the spirit is going to become available to human beings across the board. This is, going to, this is a new day. And Peter is now saying, this is it. It's happening now. But when he talks about your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. I don't think we should get too complicated about the gender of those people. Or, or ages of those groups mentioned. I think he's just describing the kind of thing that we should expect to happen. So men and women, even humble people, pe people of no status, men and women, um, servants, just ordinary people are going to experience this kind of stuff. So it's not going to be based on your status or your sex. It's actually just because God is God and he's big and vast and expansive and wants to do this wonderful thing in all the earth. But it seems that Peter is 
expecting it, and Joel as well was expecting it to be the kind of precursor to the wrapping up of the whole of the history of time and the end of the age before the Lord comes back and judges the world in all of those things. But there's also this special kind of availability of God to save people, all who call on the name of the Lord. It's like, again, it's indiscriminate. It's like there, it's available. The door is open. And so this now, looking back on this, it was 2,000 years ago plus that this actually happened. So we're kind of thinking, hold on a minute. Peter, I think, expected all of this probably to be fulfilled fairly quickly at the time he was preaching it. But we look back now and we think, man, there's a lot of history has happened and there's a lot more people on the face of the earth. But actually, that period of time that Peter defines as the last days is still now the days that we're living in. So let's just hold that thought and we'll jump into one more scripture in Acts. And so um, there comes a time of great persecution on the church some years after this event at Pentecost. And they, it be, it's kind of seems to be triggered by when they stoned Stephen the, to death one of the disciples, they stoned him to death. Not the disciples, the enemies of the church took Stephen and stoned him to death. And then there began this great persecution. So like the Christians were hunted down and pursued and arrested and thrown into prison and some were killed and tortured and all horrible things were happening. And so people left Jerusalem and fled into the neighboring countries and they, that's what we call the diaspora, which is like the scattering of seed. And so it says they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. But then, um, so then as they, we preached about this recently, but as the spreading out and this diaspora happens, everywhere they go, they're telling people about Jesus and they're seeing people like really convinced, really convicted and believing in Jesus and saying, yes, I want to become a disciple of this Jesus. And so one of the places that that's really happening was in Samaria. And so let's just read in Acts chapter 8 because there's a little bit of really interesting little thing here which I want us to see. Um, so let's look in verse 9. It says, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. So he was the biggest show in town prior to the gospel, the good news of Jesus reaching the town. And verse 10, they paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. So he was a celebrity saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, so this disciple of Jesus is now there preaching, verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And even Simon himself believed and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. So he was like sort of hanging on and he became part of the little entourage that's going around with Philip. 
And he's been baptized, so he's seen something like, and he's been impacted in his own heart by the message of Jesus, but he's only seen partially, as we'll see. And so even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So he could see Philip and the other guys doing miracles. He's thinking, man, this is, this stuff is great. This is amazing. I've never seen anything like this before. But verse 14, it says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them to Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. They'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Listen to Simon's reaction, verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered the money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So I'm just thinking, all right then. So he's seen the signs and wonders and the miracles done by Philip and has been impressed, impressed enough to become a believer and get baptized and follow in Philip's little kind of entourage. But when the apostles come and start laying hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit, it's like, man, I want this. <laughs> I'm prepared to pay money for this. What was going on that was even greater than the miracles that Philip was doing? What was he seeing, do you reckon, that made him think, gosh, this is, this is the best thing I've ever seen, ever, ever, ever. I would pay good money for this. Anyway, so he says, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to them, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore. And so he basically goes on and says, you need to repent, brother, because you're missing the whole point, And this is not for you if this is what you think of it, if you think you can buy it with money. So anyway, in the end, he does. He prays. He says, Lord, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come to me, come upon me. I just want us to begin to open our hearts again to what God actually is doing when we are receiving the Holy Spirit. Because this is more than just a little frilly thing that charismatics do in charismatic churches. This is something that Moses was crying out to God for. This was the deep cry of the man who has probably known God better than anybody else who's ever lived apart from Jesus. Shall we say that? Certainly up until Jesus. And he's like... That's the cry of his heart, that God would put his spirit on people. That's the cry that comes out in the midst of that sort of tumultuous book of Joel, which takes a bit of reading and understanding. And there's this beautiful, radiant light shining out of it of, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then there's that moment which literally stops history. It's like everything 
There's a before and after Pentecost, isn't there? Suddenly, the church is catapulted in onto the headlines of the papers, and all these incredible things start to happen, and the gospel goes around the world in a few, hey, Tobe, see ya, in a few short decades, really, and century, early, maybe in 100, 200, 300 years, the gospel had gone all the way around the world. It's incredible. And even to the point that in 375-ish AD, where my family lived, someone had built a building in the Roman, um, post-Roman era, that when the Romans had just left, someone built a building, and on the floor was an image of Jesus that they'd made out of mosaic, which was still, which is still preserved to this day. 375, they reckon, approximately, year, um, so 375 years since Jesus was born, it had reached our shores, this gospel, probably before that. That wasn't just because they had good preachers. It wasn't just because of the Roman roads and the other things like that. It wasn't just because of political will. It was because the Lord poured out his spirit. And Philip, for all his kind of limitations of understanding, he could see something. He could see, like, gosh, man, this is phenomenal. So when we talk about ourselves being a charismatic church, being a church that treasures the gifts and the presence of the Holy Spirit himself. That is why, because we realize that without that, we are just people who believe some good stuff. We can't, but that we can't be all that we're called to be without that empowering, indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. So as we work, gear ourselves up for the 25th, I would just love for us to begin to open our hearts up again and begin to receive from him and be praying for that day and inviting people to come because I I believe God's doing it again in our day. In our day. That's right. In this time, in this season, in our lifetime. Father, I pray for every single person who is listening to this right now. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill them up again? Why don't you just take a moment, wherever you are, just take a moment to pause and receive this. Maybe put your hands out. Maybe your hand on your heart is a great posture as well. Just take a moment and just say, Holy Spirit, I welcome you. I welcome you to minister to me now. Father, I pray for everyone who is responding, everyone who is listening to this. God, we need you. We need you to fill us. Holy Spirit, we need you to fill us again. Would you do that? In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I hope that that was a blessing to you. Just a quick reminder, our impartation evening on the 25th of November, 7pm at Holy Trinity School in Weymouth. That's 25th of November, 7pm at Holy Trinity School in Weymouth. Hey, if you'd like to stay in touch with us, a great way to do that is by emailing connect at prayerhouse.uk. That's connect at prayerhouse.uk. 
You can also follow us on social media. That's Facebook and Instagram. We're there and we're always sharing what's going on and sharing some other exciting news as well. So if you want to stay in touch with us, those are great ways to do that. So say hi, send us a message. And if this has been a blessing to you, we would love to know that as well. If you'd like to pay your tithes and offerings to bless the work of the prayer house and prayer house online, you can do that online on our website. That's prayerhouse.uk forward slash give. It's prayerhouse.uk forward slash give. We pray that everyone who is financially sowing into the ministry of the church and what we're able to do, we pray that you would be blessed and that your seed that you are sowing into the kingdom financially would grow and would multiply and that you would receive all the benefits and the blessings that come from your faithfulness and may God reward your good, good, faithful act of giving. So we bless you in Jesus' name. We hope you have a great day. God bless and we'll see you again soon.